microgrid. Yeah, sure. So if you think about the grid itself, you have the generation, the transmission, and then the distribution of power. Right. So you've all seen the large power plants that provide a gigawatt of power. And then the the structures, the transmission structures that run along a long corridor of power supply. Mm -hmm. So those are the ones that look like the Eiffel Tower, right? right. Or large antennas, those size ones, right? And the reason why they do that is because they are traveling over long distances in order to limit line losses, which is basically resistance over distance, right? right? What they do is they have to step up the voltages. And then on the distribution side, you'll have like what you'll have in your neighborhood, which could be underground residential if you're living in Washington, D.C. area. Mm -hmm. Or if you're in Boston, you'll see the poles. So the wooden poles, the single lines, right, which you might think is a telephone pole, but could be a power pole. That's your distribution. Mm -hmm. So really what a microgrid is, is taking that energy source, that generation plant, whether that's solar, wind, uh, gas, engine or uh, nuclear, and you're putting it closer to the demand side. So you're eliminating transmission and you're simplifying distribution. Um, and there is some discussion, and actually it's funny, I was looking at LinkedIn today and there was a, an argument on LinkedIn of what a microgrid is. And I'm like, so this is perfect timing. I'm going to be talking to Dave about this. And some people feel that it has to be connected in, to the grid in order to be considered a microgrid. And other people feel that, no, it needs to be its own isolation. So it has to be able to operate on its own. Right. So if you think of it from a data center perspective, really your backup power plants are technically, in my opinion, they're technically microgrids already. Sure. So you're already kind of using them. Do you think about a microgrid in the way you think about it as the primary whether it's connected to the grid or not, the bigger grid or not, or do you think of it as the secondary? I think of it, it could be either. I don't really think of it as primary, secondary. I think about it as sustainable. Mm. Is it sustainable within its own right? So you you brought it up already on the Tesla yeah. wall and yeah. the idea of the, the Tesla battery being able to sustain you over long periods of time. So, for example, if there was uh, – well, I live in Calgary, Canada. So, right. I mean, I'm going through the time of year right now where there's not a lot of sun, right? right? So I would need a long energy storage battery right. um, in order to to sustain power at my place. But if, as long as it's sustainable on its own, that's what I think is inherently has to be there for a microgrid. Mm. So if it is primary um, or secondary or, or, or as backup in mm -hmm. this condition, in these conditions, I don't think is as important as the sustainability. So when I talk to people about microgrid, as I'm educating myself, we usually assume these things, that it is as reliable as the grid. So it, um, you know, when I need it, it's available. It runs uh, in the same manner, the systems that I need to draw from it. Um, it's a, they're agnostic. They don't care. You know, it's a, a drink of water from one thing. It's the same as a drink of water from another thing. Um, but we always imagine them in the role of like a primary um, provider. And maybe it's just because we're all thinking about the constraints of power, spe specifically from a data center market, right? We're looking at constraints of power, either where it's generated or if we can get to generation, but we have a transmission problem or we want to go into new markets where maybe there isn't the the big infrastructure built already. And so we need to, we're not compensating for something. We need to build out something and there's some period of time. And there, what has become 
part of the energy conversation is this grid conversation, which is to say, well, sure, even if you get one of these other energy sources, you still have to have the grid or the, you know, the um, power infrastructure behind it to connect to. And perhaps one of the ways to overcome some of these challenges is to have a microgrid instead of a, a major grid. So I'm probably talking out the side of my neck, but I'm, I'm curious no. when you think about it, we think about it as reliable up primary. I guess we don't normally think of it as secondary, intermittent, um, and for, you know, to, I like your description earlier, that it needs to be self-sustaining because we imagine that it would run through like on a standby. I have a certain amount of a fuel window or whatever, if it's diesel gen or something like that, that it can run until it needs to be resupplied as opposed to the primary. I just expect it to just run. Right. Yeah. And and we never think, yeah, I agree with you. We kind of think of it that in, in that context. And if I kind of take it back for a second, if you think about what the value of the utility is, right. Mm -hmm. And whether that utility is electricity in this case, that's what we're talking about. To me, it's the cost over the reliability, mm -hmm. right? Because they, they have to be interchangeable because there's no value in it. If, for example, I said, hey, I can get you five cents a kilowatt hour, right? But I'm going to give you 80% reliable, right? <laughs> right. It's not worth the five cents. The five cents is attractive, right? But as soon as I say 80% available, it's just there's no value in it at all. Right. Um, and so, but if I said... I can give you a hundred percent, not 99.999, but a hundred percent, but you got to pay, you know, a, a dollar a kilowatt hour. You, you probably say, well, I can't afford that either. So the, right. the balance is somewhere in between those two things. And I think that making sure that the, the reliability is equal to the cost, right. Or is, is as valuable to the cost is the most important part when you're looking at a microgrid. I'm sure the people that have been around it have have been talking about this for a while, but it's come into my orbit a lot in the last six months to nine months. So thank you very much for coming on and having this conversation with us as we try to educate ourselves. Why do you think it's coming up now? Well, I think there's a couple causes to this. And one, when you think about data centers is you have to talk about the demand side. So you being the demand side of that, uh, there's more need for data and data stability than ever before in, in the time of history. Mm -hmm. And so and it's growing at a rate that is uh, it's expanding faster than the grid can expand for it. Mm -hmm. And so what's happening is you're looking at if you're looking at two curves, you have the curve of the data requirement going up and then you have the availability and reliability of the grid going down. Mm. So the. The uh, NERC, which is the North American Electric Reliability Council, just put out their long-term um, their long-term uh, assessment for the grid for North America, and eighty percent of it was either in a code red or a code orange. What? Yeah, and so over the next ten years, and the, the variability. There's a lot of reasons for that. Um, but the, the variability in the grid and, and the different energy sources that are filling the grid are a challenge. But mm -hmm. the other problem they're having is there's a capacity challenge within the transmission and distribution of the system. Mm -hmm. So if you have a transmission congestion problem, meaning that you say, let's say, let's use 100 megawatts as a, as a, a fake sure. number. 
right? And that that cable can take a hundred megawatts of power through it. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter if I have a gigawatt of power on the other side of that; it could only take a hundred gigawatts or a hundred megawatts of power through that that cable. Right. So those congestion issues are coming in, and it's an extremely complex issue. And a lot of people, when they're looking at it, they often think, "Well, why don't they just build a system?" Well. The problem is, is the other co- the other thing is what we talked about earlier is value, right? The low cost of energy is important to the productivity of the gross domestic product of that area, right? Right, and so it's important that we have good quality, firm energy resources at a value that's right for the American people or the Canadian people right. or North in North America in general. Right. And so, <clears throat> when you take all that combined with things like NIMBY, which data centers deal with too, right? right. I mean, uh, but the utility has that challenge as well. And they're highly regulated. And so in some cases, they're having a challenge even getting the permitting completed. Or they're trying to do an interconnection and, and build a new transmission line, but they have to deal with hundreds of landowners and all the challenges that uh, that exist in trying to get a project like that built. Hmm. So there's a myriad of issues that are happening all at once. Who, for people who aren't familiar with NIMBY, what is NIMBY? Not in my backyard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, I don't mean yeah. to use acronyms. No, but no yes, it's so. all right. NIMBY, not in my backyard. I don't even know yeah. why I, I brain cramped on that. I was like, what, what work is that? Let me look at that. Not in my yeah. backyard, of course. Yeah, um, yeah we... Um, Boy, I'll go down a rabbit hole quickly on a, on a wide variety of topics if we do that. So I'm not, I'm not going to touch that. But but it, it is true. I'm, you know, one of the things that I remember from my days in IT, early IT. So the world wasn't in, in the 80s and 90s. The personal computer was was really just being adopted into business and into um, universities, things like that. And as a desktop support guy at the University of Texas, I, one of the things that would drive me crazy is somebody would say, well, let's just, you know, give me the system that solves that or give me the, the network or, you know, just the give me the thing. We're like, wait a minute. It's not that easy. I would, lo- you know, um, we've got the budget approved. Yep, you've got to have the network infrastructure. You have to have the storage infrastructure. You have to have the compute infrastructure. Oh, by the way, we need the people to build it, to architect it, to build it. Then we got to house it somewhere. The closet that we used to use is so hot, the war's getting, the door's getting warped. So we can't, you know, it's complicated. Well, why didn't you predict it? Because we didn't have the ability to predict it. And, you know, so it feels like when we talk about things related to energy, whether it's microgrid, energy production, distribution, or transmission, um, there's a... uh, there's all, for those of us who aren't, I'm not familiar enough with it. So when I just run around saying, well, let's just build a microgrid out here in Eagle Falls, Idaho, or let's just build a, you know, something or other. Um, those that are close to the discussion either rub their temples or roll their eyes because they're like, it's just not that simple. Is it like those early days of IT where a lot of us that aren't familiar with it think it's just a matter of, we'll just go get it approved, get the money approved and go deploy it? And it's 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 that simple, or is it more complicated than that? No, I mean, there's two answers to that, I guess. Okay. I mean, because there's a, the technical side. The technical side, that's been figured out. I mean, yeah. we're not putting a man on the moon here. Uh, I mean, this is the this even using artificial intelligence and other things. The switch gears become more intelligent. The protection and control devices have become more intelligent. 
in order to make sure and ensure the sustainability, the reliability of that. You know, things like uh, harmonics in electricity, um, which is basically uh, cleaning the electricity is so much better than it's ever been when mm-hmm. you think uh, in the past. Things like variable frequency drives on your your chillers and your cooling equipment, it, you know, helps sustain that load to a, a good size, uh, to a manageable system. So the right. technical perspective is very simple right now the permitting process is a little more complicated depending on the territory that you're in Mm. and so um, i don't mean to pick on any particular area but i'll use a particular state where it's extremely complex to get the permitting for anything done and completed in order to get it up operational sure right the funny thing is is that's actually driven up the cost of the actual utility itself right and so now you're looking at it and going, well, man, I'm paying 18 cents a kilowatt hour over here. Uh, easily a microgrid would be more cost effective in that territory, in that area to get it done right. and get it completed and help that, that business sustain its business in order to do that. Other areas and other jurisdictions, it's becoming simpler. And I think right now there's an inevitability of the permitting process to get simpler mm-hmm. and the technology is getting better where it's actually getting as clean. So, for example, right now, when we're talking about specific energy, the amount of fuel that's required in order to make something move or drive, Mm -hmm. right? Um, We're building microgrids that are 28 to 30 percent more efficient that way than the grid itself. Wow. And so you're actually cleaner because you're not having to account for those long distance line losses and everything else that that happens in between in between that system. Right. We can get NOx emissions, right, um, and emissions down to a level that are grid quality and or better uh, simply with using uh, certain technologies that exist like SCR. Hmm. What's SCR? It, it's basically a scrubber, right? So okay. you take the exhaust and then you basically take out uh, – it uses a, a chemical process that eliminates uh, some of the emissions and reduces the emissions. Now, when we're talking about microgrids, it's, you know, when you run around and talk about, when I run around and talk about the grid, the grid, the grid, the grid, um, usually it's, not usually, always it's more complicated than that. Like what, you know, if uh, down here in Georgia, we've got um, Georgia Power up in Northern Virginia, you've got Dominion, like there are power suppliers that are connected to, uh, in, in the United States, all these different, their section for lack of a better description, of the grid. And they power a certain segment of the grid, and, and um, Texas has their own situation going on, and there are other places. But to keep it simple for our audience, so I have these different agencies that are providing energy to the quote-unquote grid. The grid is in a regional area. Um, and, for example, I toured the Vogel plant not long ago here in Georgia, a big nuclear plant that was really cool. We have lots okay. and lots of capacity, not just from that nuclear plant, but uh, Georgia Power has all kinds of, you know, a wide variety of different generation plants, um, a large energy mix that comes into the grid that supplies uh, Georgia and some of the surrounding area. It's huge. When we say microgrid, is there a is there a size that we have in mind that a that a microgrid is a microgrid if it's this size or smaller or it serves uh, whether that's in power or geographic topology or is it um, 
um, is it interchangeable? I'm, I'm trying to get an understanding of, is a microgrid usually like for a city? Is it for an industry? When you think about it, how do you think about it? Yeah, I don't think of it as size as a factor of like megawatts or, or you know, like Vogel is what, in right. gigawatts. Right, right. It's right. Huge, right? It's more in the, the geographic area that it takes over, I think. That okay. would be a, a good idea. So if you looked at it like a university campus is a great example. Okay. So you have, you might have a medical center on that university campus. Right. You might have, um, you might have a, a, a power, well, you're going to have a power station, right? right. For example. You'd have um, research you, labs, you'd have uh, teaching, housing. dorms, housing. Yeah. Yeah. And so all those things combined. And so that microgrid could is sustaining all of those different functions. Right. So if you think about it from a data center perspective, you might have multiple campuses. Right. So you might have campus one through four, right? right. It could be only operating uh, campus one and, and two because campus three and four have utility power that's available to them. And therefore it's only, it's only supplying those two campuses. Hmm. So you can look at it from a campus level or it could be just behind the meter. It's just supplying one absolute, building mm -hmm. right and so it, and it could have multiple power sources doing that as well so it could be uh solar with uh battery as we mentioned before although that would be hard to run a, a data center on or it could be something as simple uh, or it could be just a single source of energy that makes it sustainable over its period of time as well yeah. so it could be multiple generation sources feeding multiple distribution sources or it could be a, just a single point what do you, th I mean, the grid almost always is multiple generation uh, yes. points. And I've never really, whenever I thought of microgrid, I've always thought of it as a single energy type. Again, this is a relatively new uh, thought process for me, but they could be stages. So for example, I could deploy a microgrid today in, a, in an area or community that I would want to go to. So the way I would imagine, I love your reaction to this, is a microgrid could Let's say a data center community like ours needed, I don't know, 1,500 megawatts over the course of 25 or 30 years. That's, that's what it looks like if the campus is fully involved. But we also need support of the local community. And so when, 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 when all said and done, the data center campuses, or maybe there's more than one data center, between the, the data center requirements, the surrounding community requirements, um, because in this, in this scenario, I'd love for them to be able to participate in this uh, with us. Let's say we need 2,000 megawatts. I'm just grabbing a number. It's a crazy number. Two, uh, uh, two it's not crazy, but it's, it's real. It's, this well, is real. These are real just, numbers now. Let's say 2,000 yeah. megawatts. And I'm doing it in an area that obviously would have energy, but, but to just drop in in the next 10 years, uh, 1,500 to 2,000 megawatts would be pretty difficult um, strain for the for the for the existing traditional grid to do. So in this scenario, we're going to come in and we're going to build out a grid infrastructure and just for the sake of the Lincoln food fight, we're going to connect it to the uh, we're going to connect it to the grid. So if we've got surplus, I can surp I can uh, provide it to the grid whatever. We've just made this decision. In my mind, I imagine that if we needed to get there sooner rather than later, we might leverage energy generation types now 
to ride through. So that could be natural gas, it could be hydrogen, it could be hydro, it could be some mix of things that when we get to nirvana, maybe, and I'm just, I'm not choosing a winner or a loser, we get to nuclear or small modular reactors, which are still very much in the, um, sometimes even I contribute to this, like this is a done deal. It's not a done deal. There is a lot to be still hashed out between design, uh, approval, deployment, there's a lot going on in the world. So, But I'm just saying that I could see a future state some period down the road, 5, 10, 20 years, whatever it is down the road, that that's, that's you know, paradise, but I got to eat on the way to paradise. Do, do, you, do you think microgrids lend themselves more to sort of this um, step or do you see them um, more a mesh of energy sources like like a traditional grid, what do you think is most likely to be adopted? All of it. Okay. <laughs> and, and here's the reason why I would say that. And I'm sorry for you know. That's uh, so funny. That's like clear. that's like yeah. handing the note to the girl next to you. Sla- circle yes or no if you like me, and you circle the slash. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. Exactly. Ish. Um, yeah. I think it's all important. And the reason being is, as we try to electrify process. And so that's the other thing that micro that, um, sorry, data centers are competing against, mm. right? There's other needs and requirements for electricity. So if you actually look at the demand of electricity, uh, pre 2010, right? It was actually on the decline. And you think about it in your own home, right? You know, that all those light bulbs you have in your one house, right? right? They used to take, 60 watts and now they're three right right and you when's the last time you rang your dishwasher uh at 6 p.m you know you preset it to two in the morning right, right? to be a good steward of the environment and, and to right. lower your your energy requirement right so all those things that are happening all at once are going to drive that right the need for data even right i mean all these things are driving the demand side up and not there's not one simplified answer to, to solving that issue Mm. One thing you can do, though, and I, you were alluding to it earlier, and I think it's important, is prepare yourself for the future. Mm-hmm. Meaning, look, am I going to be hydrogen ready with the, the, the system I have? Is Could this tra- help me transition to hydrogen when the hydrogen market opens up? Mm-hmm. Right. The problem with hydrogen right now is it, it's just not it, – it's a supply issue, mm-hmm. right? And so once that supply and demand makes a lot of sense, then we can have more hydrogen available to us. Is it ready for that transition to do that? Mm-hmm. Can I help support my local communities through my own microgrid? So imagine you, a large portion of what I did in the past was I actually put microgrids in in a temporary solution after a storm response. Really? Right. Yeah. And so we used to do this and help them out and, and help them do this. But there's no reason why, say, for example, you're in Virginia and an ice storm comes through mm-hmm. and takes off a part of the transmission system. Although it might not be directly affecting you, but your excess power that you currently have because you're self-generating, and maybe you have 20, 30 megawatts extra mm-hmm. right, of power, that could actually reduce the load requirement down the system. Hmm. And if you have the interconnection properly set up, what you can do now is you're you're 
supplying backup to the people that live closest to your to your neighborhood and your community mm-hmm. and being able to provide that energy. Or maybe they'll even direct it right to the hospital or to whatever might be at risk in right. order to support that. So I think having closer, having bigger energy that's non-emitting is going to be important. But I think also having closer energy is going to be as important as well. Sorry for the long answer. No, I love it. I, I Gosh, it just spins off so many things to think about. One of them is, are you familiar with this term? It was coined uh, in the 2000s by a, a guy, I think also named David. Um, he was from GE, and it was called data gravity. Have you ever heard of this term, data gravity? Here's the big I idea. Know. I'll probably screw it up. But the big idea is, in the past, applications pull data to them. But now that we make so much data, the data, that data ball gets so big, like a planet, that um, it pulls the apps to it. In other words, it's too hard. It's too expensive. In the same way, the cost of moving an electron further and further distances can become overwhelming. In the same way, moving a um, fiber packet greater and greater distances can be overwhelming. And so the closer you can have the consumption, we call it the edge, call it whatever you want, the consumption to the um, creation. So the Netflix video is stored nearer you than further. And so we've got all of these different tools in the network and the telecom world that have been developed and are in continuous development to deal with this idea of data gravity. The data gets so ponderous, it's pulling things to it into its gravity well instead of pushing the data to it. It's way more expensive to move data than it is to generate or consume data. Is this a similar idea, maybe not the same? No, it's actually, that's transmission, right? I mean, when you're stepping up the voltage over time and over that distance you're adding risk to it Mm. so i can't remember the exact number um give me a second here i think it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 64 percent of all outages right of power outages were caused um were caused by a major event and what that means is that means everybody's out. <laughs> right. Right. So it's it's a mass of people that in that area that are going to be out in that. But only four percent of it is created by the bulk power system. Mm. Right. Meaning your transmission lines are good because they're big and they're strong. But where the problem is is the distribution of it, the complexity of the distribution and the distributions come in or the subtransmission of it. Right. Meaning um maybe the 69 kb line or the 35 kb line is coming into that area right and so by taking that out microgrids make you more resilient over time because now you're you're right there right so there is less risk within that system in order to do that not to mention you don't have to deal with line losses you don't have to calculate those line losses out right so it provides you with a not it eventually could become cheaper energy how, how do we but make it's also going to be more resilient how do we make this conversation sexier i feel like uh, it, it, here's what i mean like everybody loves i'm i'm as guilty as any so when i say everybody just hear dave mccall i love to talk about the potential of um 
future energy sources because I'm a, I'm a huge believer in energy sovereignty. Whether I'm in the data center business or not, I just think that it's, it's um, if you can provide a low-cost, healthy energy supply to your um, people, your tribe, your constituents, whatever you want to call it, it is one of the foundational bedrock things to being connected to the modern economy, um, to, to giving you the, you know, to be less interested in global conflicts. And I don't want to get too much into the, con- you know, what, any of those yeah. things. But I, I, th- these, these things that um, you, human beings throughout all of history, we, we go into conflict over, this is one of them. And so to the degree that we can um, serve ourselves and we don't have to leave our borders, or at least not the borders of our friends at a minimum, Right. Um, it just behooves all of us. So how do we, it, so energy generation, whether that's intermittent energy, whether that's some of the other conversations that are going on now, um, really get the, you know, they're, they're the, uh, they're the ginger of this conversation, right? The, the Hollywood star and looks amazing, but just as important, it seems like is this other conversation, which is the ability to get the power, whatever the sources that we agree is the right place or the right type to the place where we need it. So we still have this benefit. We have this affordable, healthy, uh, accessible energy. And um, I, I believe, you know, look, I'm not anti-utility. I, I get to a chance to talk to utility providers all the time. And they are as interested, not just fiscally, but just for their family and their, for all the same reasons, as interested as I am. But they can't solve all things, um, you know. And so it feels like there's a, there's a real role for microgrids, whether it's industry-specific like ours and digital infrastructure or just the other people that need these things. I had a professor Donald Sadaway on a year and a half ago or so from MIT talking about energy storage. And while we didn't talk about microgrid, he was imagining a time, you know, we can make carbon-free steel. If I've got a nuclear, a small nuclear source, and I've got the steel plants on their own grid, so I presume he means a microgrid, they can, through this process that they've developed at MIT and maybe others, they can make carbon-free steel. The reason why we don't do it now is the cost to create the energy to do this process causes more more carbon output than good, you know, that you'd save. But if you if you had an energy source like this, and so people in a variety of places are talking about, it seems to me, this opportunity for microgrids, but it just doesn't, it it's not coming up in regular conversation like the other things. Is that because there's a, there's not a good marketing, it's not as uh, attractive or uh what can we do to facilitate the conversation so more people are talking about it? Or am I in yeah, the wrong? I, am I in the wrong conversations? People are talking about it all the time, and I'm just not hearing it. Well, maybe I'm more inundated in it than you are, and so I do hear about it a lot. But you're right. I, I think the main thing is what we have to get back to something. And I talk to this with my 15 year old daughter all the time. <laughs> you are standing on the backs of people that have done things for you. Right. If you lived 150 years ago and somebody told you there was a micro biome inside your system that was making you sick, they would tell you to shut up and go to the barber right. and get bled out. Right. They would cut you and bleed you out right. to reduce your fever. Right? right. You can measure the even right down. There's actually a brilliant guy um, from the University of Calgary 
um, here where I live. And he actually studies whether you measure that in a barrel of oil equivalent or uh, a kilowatt hour or megawatt hour or gigajoule, you can measure the, the productivity of a nation or a state or an area, right? By how much energy it consumes. Mm. And there's a tipping point where when you consume enough energy and your gross domestic product gets to a level, right? Mm-hmm. You actually start caring about the environment. Yeah. Because if, if you're trying to survive right, and all you have available to you is animal waste, right. you will burn it to save your family. Right. Right. And so the reality is, is years ago, uh, you could say Thomas Edison saved the whales. Right. Sure. Right. Because the lighting companies were all using whale oil. Right. And when they invented electricity, the thing that we get lost in now is we want to jump from here we are today to utopia. Right. It's the small incremental that we should be patting each other on the back for. We should be celebrating those small incremental changes. The ability for a data center to, to find a 10% improvement in their PE. Right. That's not minor nowadays when you're talking about two gigawatt data centers. Right. That's a massive amount of change. I, we need to celebrate those things. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I got into a... Um... Not a, I don't want to mischaracterize it, but somebody was um, from a from a stage almost chastising in a friendly professional way, but almost chance chastising the data center industry about a PUE of 1.6, for example. And and I get if 10 years from now or five years from now, whatever it is, if we're still sitting on a PUE of 1.6, no problem. I'll, I'll join the chorus. But five years ago, seven years ago. My brownfield chip prefab that I converted into a data center was a three. I mean, two, six, a 1.9. And through incremental things like blanking panels, by redoing CFD modeling, by we we continuously, our industry, not just us, innovate and work with our partners, the world's largest buyers who are really committed to these things. constantly pressing on us on how we're doing cooling, how we're moving cooling through a data center, how are we reimagining um, energy consumption, the infrastructure that they bring in that uses energy. But we're, it's the, I guess my point is it's these incremental things that we're doing to drop it. Let's celebrate. I'm not saying we stop, but let's celebrate these successes and continue to leverage them as we design for the future. Yeah, I think, it, I think it's important to do. I love the way you say that too. Don't stop. Right. Because I think what happens when you do celebrate them, there'll be more initiative to do more and, and they'll do it. And you brought up another good point there. And I just want to address that <clears throat> is data centers are not taking enough credit for a couple of things in my opinion. Mm. Right. And so a lot of people say, Oh, they get tax credits when they go in and they're not community, you know, they're not mm. employing a thousand people at a data center, mm. but you know what they are doing? They are subsidizing energy in that area. Yeah. Let me explain why. If you took a, uh, I used to deal a lot with a company called Hydro One. Mm-hmm. Hydro One is the transmission company and distribution company in Ontario, Canada. And they would run lines for hundreds of miles, right? Mm-hmm. And they would serve 3,000 meters at three kilo. So they'd run maybe, let's call it three megawatts of power 
after that 100 kilometer run. That price of that utility has to be divvied up across everybody in their whole territory, right, to run that 100 miles of climb. Hmm. That artificially inflates the cost of it. Inversely, if you're a data center and you're using 100 megawatts, in which is basically looks like a warehouse, right? Right. And right. there's multiple of these around that area. That is why uh, Northern Virginia has got one of the cheapest costs of utility because it's the density energy use in that area. Right. You are doing that currently. Right. For sure. So, yeah. And so in, in certain, like, that's why you get seven cents kilowatt hour uh, if you're, you know, uh, if you live in Northern Virginia. Yeah. And in other places less, you know, it's, um, it's on us. I believe this um, deeply. It's on us in our industry to, in as humble a way as we can, I don't mean this in a combative way, but to tell our story of our successes, own up to the areas where we are not or have not been as good stewards as we should be, whether that's with resources or it's with um, the people that we get entrusted with or whatever. But but we, we have a lot of successes. You see power sure. consumption growing exponentially. But the um, um, or the data rate growing exponentially, but the power consumption is not growing at the same rate because we're getting so much more efficient at uh, at delivering it, and we we need to continue to innovate, not rest. Let's do it. It's our communities too, right. but it is um, it is a story we need to get uh, better at. So when we think about this with microgrids, how do I? I'm trying to imagine how I start working these into my you know my regular topic. Uh, conversation points in my discussion, I don't have, if I say nuclear, everybody wants to talk about it. If I talk about hydrogen, whether, you know, whatever somebody's opinion is, they weighed in with an opinion. If I say microgrid, one or two out of five or six might have something to say, but it, but it's not as sexy as the other conversations. I feel like it's as important or maybe in some cases more important. I'll tell you, it's on your executive's mind. Um, and I'm hearing that from this, this industry right now. Um, mm -hmm. it's not very hard for me to get meetings right now with executives to talk about this. The reason being is it opens the door to your site selection. Mm. You know, it used to always be about the proximity to fiber and then fiber got so good that, you know, eh, right? right. I mean, I can run that over a long distance and the ping rate's pretty good. Right. right. And then all of a sudden the cost of land started skyrocketing because you're putting all this industry into a certain area. And now the land is valuable, right? And I don't know, but I heard in numbers as high as $3 million an acre in some territories. Right. So that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Now, if you took, and now the availability of power is also that. So if you took any one of those three things away, right? Right. It makes you more available to go anywhere that you want. Mm -hmm. So is Arkansas not in the play now? Right. Mm. I mean, maybe it is. Maybe right. having a, a good energy source and a reliable energy source that you don't have to worry about the utility and you don't even care. So you don't look at the NERC report because you're self-generating. Right. Right. So you don't even need to worry about that. And now the land is so cheap that you're doing it. Right. And then you look at the cost of the utility. The cost of the utility isn't simply just the cost of the power coming in that you're paying your 10 or your 7 or your 8 cents or in California, 18 cents a kilowatt hour. Mm. Because in order to get to your five nines of reliability, what you're doing is you're having to have, if you're 100 megawatts a, a data center, 
you're going to have to have 100 megawatts of power backup. Mm. So now you're buying all that. Mm-hmm. So you're artificially inflating the cost of your actual electricity by having that reliability put into it in the in in, in backup diesel generators, mm-hmm. right? Automatic switch gears, or whatever. all the things that you need, right, to have into that system. Mm-hmm. So when you start to look my with more our more sophisticated customers, we're looking at the true cost of of the energy that you're buying, right? And what if you could do that? With a microgrid, instead of having 200 megawatts of power, 100 megawatts from the grid and 100 megawatts, mm-hmm. you might only, to get to the still the five nines reliability, where we run the na- numbers with our data scientists, mm-hmm. you're maybe running 125 megawatts of power. Hmm. Wow. So you're actually reducing that cost. You could actually, when you look at the true cost of it, it doesn't look as expensive now it is. And the technology's more available it's getting cheaper it's getting better um all at the exact same time i want to um i don't know if this is devil's advocate but you something you said um we've talked about a couple times i just want to throw this out there and and see what you think there is a there's an interesting book i want to say it was like 2008 2010 100 years ago now by a guy named nick carr called the big switch and one of the things he talked about um, was at the in- end of the Industrial Revolution, or towards the end of the Industrial Revolution, almost all of the big railroad um, manufacturers had a power plant on site, almost without exception, if not without exception. And in fact, many of the uh, original big steel plants, all this big infrastructure had their own power plant right there, basically a, a microgrid, right? And they eventually moved away from that to a central distribution model. I think it started in Chicago, but but whenever and however. But by the early 20th century, that became more and more the case, eventually standard. And the reason for that was there was economies of scale. There were all of these other reasons. The people that you needed to do your own power plant had to be artisans. No two power plants were the same. All these... You know, these were the economic challenges and the staffing challenges um, and the operational challenges with doing these one-offs as opposed to doing this centralized. And so they, they did that. Not dissimilar to, um, you know, we've seen this in IT. We were on a mainframe and then we moved away to individual computers and now we're moving many things to the cloud and to this federated model. How in what we're describing now with this idea of microgrid – is it um, dissimilar to the risk? If we're talking about reliability and um, affordability, how am I how am I mitigating the risk of having these? You know, when I, when I in my mind, and maybe I'm not mitigating anything. Maybe there's a risk that I'm you know uh, I'm imagining that doesn't exist. But if I move from a central distribution model to this micro model. Am I inheriting a risk in the same way that those early power plants did? Is it more impactful for us to just kind of bolster up the grid as opposed to this micro? How do you react to that? Is that a fair comparison or what's different between the two? It's like anything else you do. The further away you get from the problem, mm-hmm. right, the harder it is to control it, right? And so, in my opinion, as you look through this, having to build transmission lines in a time where people don't want you in their backyard, for example, right, 
um, building large nuclear facilities where there's a lot of opposition to that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which drives me crazy. Right. <laughs> it's the best source of energy we know, and carbon um, we're free. still working off. Yeah, right. it's yeah, exactly. Right. It's carbon free. Um, yeah. Look at France. France is a great model for uh, for nuclear energy. Right. Um, actually, you don't even need to look that far. Uh, you know, go to a submarine. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's really you know, it, this is not new technology. Right. Uh, it, it might be new to you, but it's right. not new to. to the, right. Right. So, um, the the further away you get from the problem, the harder it is to control. Mm-hmm. Right. So now, if you can go in and say, well, look. Right. Um, I'm going to control my own destiny here close and I can run my own distribution. Plus, I can give back to my community mm-hmm. by having access power if if and when they need it. Right. Um, I can help supply that backup ener- uh, that energy to to the grid as well. Right. I think the closer you get to that problem, um, you're, you're able to solve for it. The other thing I would have to say is you have to look at the economic model of the utility in mm. when you're talking about those period of time, it was still in its infancy. Right. Mm-hmm. And so FDR brought in the cooperative idea, right. Where in your fear rule, uh, and then you had the investor owned utility and you all did that, but really what the price of it's actually no different really than a data center, mm. how you figure out a price of a utility is you take the aggregated cost to operate and maintain it plus the capital cost, and you aggregate it over a period of time. And then you say, okay, well, that pole is going to last 30 years. It cost me Mm $30,000. Therefore, it's going to cost me $1,000 a year, and I have 1,000 customers. Uh, It's going to, everybody pays a dollar that year for that thing. Right. right? That's kind of how you do that. Right. When you look at the cost and the amount of capital is doubled, the amount of investment has doubled into the utility grid. Now what you're doing is you're actually, the cost of capital has doubled as well mm-hmm. in the last 10 years, right? So now that cost of capital that they have to go out and buy the free markets and through bonds and everything that they have to do mm-hmm. is doubled. Now you're going to aggregate that cost over. The inflation in utility is going to be dramatic in the next five to 10 years. Really? It, it has no way around it. Right. Right. I mean, distribution lines used to be a third of the spend that they were spending on rebuilding the, 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 the poles or the lines than what it is today. Right. And it's just because it's aged. It's time for a replenishment. Right. Those costs have to be aggregated over time. And so the more expense you put into that, it, it you know it's going to make microgrids look a lot more expense inexpensive as well yeah so those would be the two factors is your cost and then your control right do you think that uh, one of the things that nick talked about <clears throat> this is what attracted me to the idea of smr among other things mm-hmm. smr in its fully realized form which whichever design is chosen the idea is as i understand it they're built in a factory they are built in a very modular, uh, and whether it's a micro um, reactor, which would be, I don't know, 30 megawatts or 50 megawatts or less, whatever, depends on who you talk to, or a small modular reactor, which is 300 megawatts or less. But anyway, the idea is um, it's 
unlike a traditional power plant, which is a one-off, these other plants are not one-offs. They are assembly line, they're Model Ts, basically. They're assembly line made, they're deployed, and so what that implies is not just a, a control of the cost and the benefit, but one of the advantages of that central station was if I can standardize on a design and a distribution, well, now I can standardize electricians. And so, so long as they go through the trades and they go through accreditation and whatever, you got a whole pool of people here that can serve, um, that can come and work for you and serve you and, and manage your infrastructure because it's not this sort of unique, I need to have tribal knowledge and I, you know, it's this very artisan, um, handcrafted, it's a... Um, it's a snap together Lego that you they can you can reach out to a wide community. I'm wondering if when we go to do microgrids, while the size and the scale may vary depending upon the requirement, do you think it will be more like that, less artisan and more sort of standard design that just happens to be deployed? And so we mitigate the risk of having to have um, some unique set of skills that, you know, any any um, trained professional in this space could come and manage your grid. In other words, with data centers, we used to be all one-off. And now we're, you know, I can ingest, whether they're military background or other background, I have a program to bring people up to speed, to build, operate, commission, et cetera, my infrastructure. And while they may look like they're one-offs, they really aren't. Even if their capacity varies. They're a very similar design that we just expand or contract depending upon where we deploy it. Do you think a microgrid would be like that? It is right now. Okay. I mean, that's what we've done is we've actually taken that model, uh, the Southwest model, right? Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've heard that terminology before. Well, what what do you and mean by that? What's the Southwest model for people who don't know? So the Southwest the idea i can't remember the exact plane but they kind of kept the exact plane to go the exact same distance right and oh they, southwest they airlines the, yeah, yeah yeah southwest airlines yeah yeah, so, yeah yeah um yeah and they decided you know that was going to be the way it was because then it was easier for them to inventory parts it was a you know you for training control everything. your own supply chain right training simple right i mean right. everybody understands it even your pilots i mean Pilots have to do so many hours on a simulator. You only need one, like one kind of simulator. I'm not saying one right. simulator, but you only right. need one kind of simulator. Yeah. So you get some scale in there as well. Yeah. And so that's exactly what we're doing. Um, we're doing the exact same thing. And what we've proven to be done is, remember I was telling you before in my past history, we used to set up these power plants and, uh, you know, 50 megawatts of scale right. uh, after a storm. That would usually take us, you know, seven to... 12 days working 24 hours a day right around the right. clock with lights and right. getting everything up and running and we literally move 30 megawatt plants and have them set up in 14 16 hours right now that's incredible yeah it, it, it's using that concept of exactly what you just said it's it's modularizing making it simple making it easy and, and having to plug and play when my ceo was actually he was asking me to come over he uh he he asked me, so, so what do you think this is what I'm building? And I said, sounds like you're in my mind. That's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking, right? Is how do we get the power to the customer faster in order to support that? And that's exactly what he what he uh, he built, and I'm proud to be with right now. Yeah. Is that exact idea. 
That's a fantastic idea. By the way, one of my favorite tidbits of the Southwest um, story, 100% true on the supply chain, 100% on the inventory and training and all of these things. But one of the greatest things they did, in my opinion, if not the greatest thing they did, if you remember in the end of the 70s, they had the highest customer satisfaction rating, not just in airlines, but I want to say in the Fortune 100 or the Fortune 500, whatever it was. And the reason was because they had control over all of those things, because they've standardized on all those things, they felt confident to give power to their gate agents to exchange tickets. If you got, you know, if something happened that delayed this flight, they could, in the with such a uh, uh, economic amount of time, make a business decision to move a passenger or whatever that satisfied the passenger. They had all of that information and data. They knew. Uh, and they were able to give them that control. And so the customer experience for people in an industry that at that time wasn't known for great customer experience um, just shot through the roof. And more than airlines, everybody paid attention. This is, you want to know how to get market share. And they were, remember, they were fighting to become an incumbent with anybody. And now right. they uh, dominate. But it was because they were, through all of those other things, they were able to give a level of customer service that nobody else could compete with. Yeah, I mean, there's a great book called The Nordstrom Way, and they kind of did that empowerment as well. I mean, I don't think it, it has a little more complexity in its business model than the Southwest model, but empowering the people to make those decisions. But you're right. I mean, being able to respond quickly, that is a huge benefit for us. We understand what that is. And literally, like, we, we modulize a unit we we could literally have spare parts of that unit just and all we do is we just four bolts takes it off and put it back on and there's a whole new breaker set right and it's like well that was easy <laughs> right. right kind of the staples that was easy button right and so in, in order to do that so there's a and that's important right now too as when you look at what's happening in the energy fold right um you know with with challenges in the reliability grid uh, emergency response is going to be a big part of our business in in being able to support that whether it's because there's massive storms that exist right mm -hmm. or there's going to be the loss of one i don't know if you heard a couple of years ago i think it was a couple of years ago now maybe it was just last year i can't remember but somebody shot up a in um it shot up a trend a trans uh, transformer in uh, south carolina hmm no, and, and it took out like a huge chunk of like tens of thousands from of customers. From one transformer? Yeah. Wow. So, so the transformer, obviously, that was a challenge. That's true. Right. But why couldn't they backfeed from everywhere else? It was because it was in the heat of the summer. Oh. Right? And so there was, you know, a lack of power supply being able to be brought in from other locations in order to do that. Wow. And so, you know, as these things become more challenging being able to set up quickly is going to be important yeah what do you think in the we we've got we've talked about a lot today uh so thank mm -hmm. you for coming on we've got uh, a few minutes sure. left i'm i'm asking you to look into your you know your old johnny carson schwami uh, crystal ball <laughs> What what are the um, what do you think the near term uh, challenges and successes as you imagine over the next you know let's I hate to say the three to five year model five years seems too far away we're moving too fast for that but in the in the next eighteen twenty four months 
as we think about microgrids in particular, I mean, we're going to have access to more people that want to do microgrids and just not the ability to provide generation for them? Or um, what do you think the challenges are that, that we're going to be facing to get uh, adoption of them? I think it's going to actually go the other way. Really? The public utility commissions are going to have to allow it to happen. Hmm. There's not. There's going to be in there. There's going to be more. Um, uh, there's going to be more acceptance from the regulation perspective. It's going to get easier and easier as time progresses on. Mm-hmm. As long, and again, that doesn't give you full. You know, to use the dirtiest methods possible. Sure. You know, but the technology is getting <clears> so good. Like I said, like if I'm getting NOx emissions done 0.04 grams per per kilowatt electric hour, mm-hmm. right? 0.04. It, that's world class. Yeah, I mean that is a natural gas station. That's a natural gas power plant, or you know, it's much better. It's forty percent cleaner um, than current existing systems that are running on coal or uh, or regular natural gas, simple cycle natural gas plants. Right. So you're getting emissions down to a, a level where you can do that. So the technology's caught up. Number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, the need for energy is important. One of the things that interests me most about the data center, and I'm a data center rookie, right. so just to put it, uh, like, I'm just learning your industry, so I'm just figuring this out. But I can't think of a more important industry mm-hmm. to make sure that stays in North America. Yeah. Not offshore data, as our need for data, like our banking industries, our health industry, all those things, in order to get that, that has to stay here right you cannot yeah. offshore that yeah you can I mean, offshore netflix maybe right? <laughs> <laughs> you i'm know, not but... sure it isn't um <laughs> i i would just the only way i would i would um i love that comment i i think about it just slightly differently i think we're in complete agreement i would just say that to we need to keep data local so if you're in another country keep data local right um for your data sovereignty reasons, for all of the reasons that are important to you and your people, for us, it's the same thing, right? And um, not only that, to move, you know, when when we have to go find energy, for example, that's a continent away, that takes a lot of energy to go get it and bring it back. There's so much waste in the system to do that, much less these conflicts that arise by um, pursuing those resources maybe that aren't in our, uh, you know, within our sphere of influence. In the same way for data, to, to move data around the globe, whether there's a high risk, and I do believe, you know, for me, data centers and digital infrastructure um, in general is one of the most important industries to be in, either supporting it or being in it actively, because it's how you connect the world to the modern economy. And if you, to, our conversation earlier was, I'm not going to be concerned about how something works if I'm trying to raise my population out of poverty. I can't think right. about sustainability. I can't think about anything until, um, you know, I have access to medical care, I have access to inexpensive power, I have access to connectivity. I'm not in, and if I don't have that in an affordable way, I can't compete um, in the world stage. And that's going to be my focus, period. It doesn't matter what else the world does. And I I don't blame them. I would be doing that for my family, too. So the degree that we can keep what I think are the ideas of the whole world live in a data center, local, whatever local with it, as we define those boundaries, um, I think the better 
better for us and better for the rest of the world for that matter. So I, I agree. I just, I'm, I'm hoping to facilitate more and more of these kinds of conversations, the whole conversation, not just the, um, the energy generation conversation or even the, um, the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The alarmist conversation in a sense of like, I, I like to keep the conversation optimistic. How do we look? We know there's a challenge ahead of us to your point in the beginning of the, you know, the um, aging fleet of our energy infrastructure declining and the demand escalating. Well, so let's embrace it. We got an opportunity. Let's, let's attack it and, um, and innovate for the whole world and for ourselves. Yeah. And I, I, I agree with that whole sovereignty part. And I think that goes back to the microgrid to me. It gives yeah. you sovereignty, right? It, it gives you choice. I've right. never seen anything that you've had more choice that it hasn't gotten better over time. That's right. And I agree. I, and energy is, isn't so important to our society um, as is data, right? Those two things are so very important to us that uh, having more sovereignty in it has to work for the benefit of everybody. Yeah, I agree. The one other thing I would just say of why I think the inevitability of data, like that microgrids and data centers are going to become intertwined, uh, intertwined more. Yeah. Is the speed to service. Oh. Right. Um, we talked a lot about cost, but what about opportunity loss mm. as well? Right. I mean, meaning, hey, I don't have, I was at a site. Uh, and it anyway, I was at a, at a site and there was another site that was 80% built and it was sitting there isolated because it wasn't, there was a <clears> lack <throat> of power at that building. Wow. And across the street from it, literally, right, was another site that had not been built, like that they cleared the land for, but they didn't even start building, right? And there was a third site that they wanted to start looking at and, and, and building. So that was probably, there were about 75 to 80 megawatts a piece. Right? That's 240 megawatts of data centers that weren't being built mm -hmm. um, and put up. And the speed to service, in that case, it's going to take the utility a long time to deal with all the regulatory requirements that they're going to have to do in order to get that. Mm -hmm. Literally, that 240, I could have up and running in a year. Mm. And, and if you imagine what those data centers, not just the benefit to the data center company, those infrastructures are built because, like we said before, that's where the ideas of the whole world live. Like that, the, and the closer you are to your data in most cases, whatever, whatever it is, your sermon, your music, your entertainment, your building, your 911 system, whatever it is um, – almost always leads to enhanced human flourishing. And, and so that lives somewhere else, further away, less efficiently away. And, and you know, that's how I think about it from a, from a just sort of a, a total environmental perspective. Um, and then the tax base, if those things were up and operational, the, the groups that support that, you know, so many studies have shown um, – the, the ancillary things that come around, it's like a military base. When a military base springs up, all the th services and the things that sure. come around that, the, you know, from the simple, like, tailoring the uniforms and the haircuts and whatever to the complex, it's an entire ecosystem. And so when a 
base gets moved or shut down, and I'm not saying that they don't do it, you reevaluate it from time to time, but it's this entire ecosystem that gets affected beneficially or negatively. There was a Wall Street Journal article on the Taylor Swift effect. <laughs> you know, I believe it. Just how much money she's brought into the economy simply by, you know, having her things, everything from the travel to, um, you know, the hotels and uh, right. vendors and everything else on there. Right. It's so, um, yeah, there's a huge effect out there. And that's why I think we don't have to be perfect tomorrow. Right. We just have to be better than yesterday. Yeah. You know, I would and, agree. And, yeah. Just little improvements incrementally over time will get us to where we want to be, where we can sit back. And in 20 years, we'll look at it. Right. Yeah. You know, people don't have emphysema anymore as much as they used to simply because they're not burning firewood to heat their homes. Right. Right. That's exactly right. It reminds people, me. Go, I'm sorry. Go ahead. And yet people are trying to cancel natural gas. Right. Well, compared to what? Right. <laughs> you well, know, like, that's what Don Sadaway, this MIT professor, said. We've had a bunch of MIT folks on there. I don't want to put words in his mouth. But he said, you know, what happens sometimes with human beings is we choose a winner and we choose a loser, but we choose it on a technology instead of a bigger idea. If the idea is to reduce carbon today, we can ship some, whether it's natural gas or clean coal or whatever, to parts of the world that are burning wood, that are emit, emitting tremendous amount of carbon, and they are far away from having the ability to deploy nuclear power. It's not in the next 30 or 40 years for these nation states. If you shipped this stuff to them now, we wouldn't do it here because we're moving on from that. But if you would ship that to them there, overnight, you would cut by 50, 60, 70%. This is, you know, I, I didn't fact check it, but he's like, his point wasn't trying to choose any winner or loser in generation. He's just saying, let's get real about the problem we're trying to solve. And if we have a tool today that does it better than a tool yesterday, apply the tool today while we evolve to the tool for tomorrow. There's a great, um, I followed them on Twitter X or whatever it's called now. It's called yeah. humanprogress.org. Mm. And it, they just have little snippets of articles. And so one of the ones they had the other day was that the, the forest has grown by a significant um, amount in the last um, in the last 10, 20 years. Mm. And that's because we're burning less wood. Yeah. And so sim simply put, and they have this thing that they talk about often is, Nobody sits there and tells you the good news, right? right. <laughs> you know, then everybody says, hey, there's peace here. I'm uh, standing in, uh, right. you know, I'm standing in the middle of Sudan and there's no war. Right. Right. <laughs> Back to you, Bob. <laughs> you know, it, that, that doesn't happen, right? That's right. But those are the things that need to be uh, uh, focused on as well. It's like those little things that were making the difference and making the change. And here's an interesting fact. The United States has actually decreased greenhouse gas emissions um, dramatically in the last seven years. Mm. The sole number one contributor by one standard deviation, meaning all other technologies, all other things, mm -hmm. to create that is natural gas. Wow. wow. People don't think of it because, yeah. it, but it, it, it took away coal <clears throat> right. or it is, it, it's transitioning coal out of that. Right. 
and then other technologies improvements etc cetera, etc cetera, that they've done to reduce that so um like other technologies meaning the cleaning the SERs on the natural gases right on the natural gas systems and stuff that they can do right? yeah i hope yeah. we get to a point i i feel like i'm there i'm not sure who the other people are but that we say what is the what do we have available to us today that that lands in this performance and price model that makes sense. And just because we use it today doesn't mean 100 years from now we've got to continuously use it. What we're saying is it's an improvement over yesterday, and it may be the model for 1,000 years. We don't know. We, we stuck keels on boats so we could sail them away from the shore, and then we improved on that design, and we continue to iterate. But instead of just saying, no, this is the way it's always been, or just because the people before us did it, we can never do that again, that seems to me to, um, I hope we, we can uh, become as open-minded as we, we try to be in other things about what works where the best right now to address the things that we have in front of us right now. And don't ignore the past or the future, but just evaluate them and, and make that decision. It, you know, sometimes I, I'm optimistic and other times I'm, uh, I'm less optimistic, but I would, I, that's a remarkable um, that's a remarkable fact about natural gas, and I, I think that's uh, that rings true. Yeah, and the, the other part to your part of the transition—that's another thing about microgrids. Sometimes I say people don't pay us to come; they pay us to go away. <laughs> Fair enough. Meaning we can easily demobilize that microgrid, right? Once an SMR becomes available, right? That's simple, right? right? I mean. We're actually doing this right now where we're actually synchronized with the grid in order to support somebody. And because in that tech, in that area, the grid is um, uh, is less reliable, mm. right? Right. We have the ability to, 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 to meet all the demand, right? Right. But we know that the grid is a little bit cleaner in that area, but it's intermittent because it has a lot of wind and solar in that territory. Right. So it's intermittent. So when when the wind and the solar is not blowing, we're turning it, we're turning on the, the gaseous engines. Mm. Right. So um, those little changes, those little differences, and once all that power becomes firm energy, back there, we can go away. Right. So maybe it's seven, maybe it's ten, maybe it's twelve years away. I don't know. Right. Right. But when it happens, we're, we're, we'll be ready for it. Dave Bell. This is a great conversation. Thanks for coming on today. I appreciate you having me, David. It was a good. I love talking about this stuff. Well, we will have you on again. We will see where we're, uh, how we're progressing, and talk about more topics. And hey, everybody, if you enjoyed this conversation, like, and if you loved it, subscribe. We'll see you next time. Have a good one. Bye.